Well, once again, welcome to Trace, whether you're here in uh, in the chairs or you're online catching this. Uh, so glad that you are here. Hopefully you're having an incredible summer and uh, it's, it's hard to believe it's like halfway over, you know? We only got a little bit left, so hope you're kind of squeeze those camping trips and, and uh, grilling parties and all that kind of stuff in there. Uh, our lead pastor, Aaron Pennington, has actually been away from us from a, for a couple weeks and he will be for a few more. He's actually on a study leave right now, but he misses you guys. He really does. And, and I know that he's going to be tuning in to this message. And so will you all do me a favor. And on the count of three, I want you to say, we miss you, Aaron, as loud as you can. He's not going to be able to see you, but he'll be able to hear you. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Yes, we do miss you, Aaron. Actually, we really miss Emily and the kids, but uh, we'll be glad when you're back as well. And uh, so we're so glad that you guys are here with us here today. We've been in a series this summer called One. And we've been trying to accomplish a couple things with this with this series called One. Uh, one is that we've been uh, kind of introducing you to uh, like the first chapter of several books or letters uh, that have been written and uh, in the Bible. And so the idea behind that is we wanna give you some introduction, some background, some historical things to be able to help you read rightly the rest of that book or that letter because we truly believe that it's so important for us to be connected to the Word of God and in the Word of God. We actually have this thing called D1, which is a process that we use to be able to help you read through the Bible. And so you can see uh, this kind of study here. It's, It's one chapter, one verse, one thought, one moment, one person, all built on the principle of one behind that. And so as we introduce a new book or a new uh, uh, letter in the Bible to you guys, the hope is that you would take that and like kind of read through the rest of that throughout your week. Um, Secondarily, um, we believe that it's worth your time if you're gonna be showing up here, uh, not to just hear things, uh, but to actually be challenged to actually do something with the things uh, that you hear. And sometimes it gets hard because when you hear a message, you have all these things that are flooding at you and you have so many things that you're supposed to do that you don't actually do anything because there was too many things and it kind of overwhelmed you. And so uh, we've kind of narrowed it down in each one of these messages. We have the principle of one, the one thing that we're challenging to do when you get out of here, because if you were to do that, you're getting the point of the entire message. And so I'll uh, reveal that to you toward the end of our time together today. Uh, But last week, we took a look at Joshua. We looked at the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter one, and we looked at the life of Joshua. We looked at the story kind of leading up and kind of out of Joshua's life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you guys up to speed. If you didn't get to hear that, I'm also going to remind you some stuff if you did get to hear it. And so last week, we got to see that Joshua was the guy that God chose to actually bring the people of Israel into the promised land, okay? So he's the guy that actually is bringing these guys in. And so there's actually a a map here. I showed you all this last year. Uh, God actually defined for Joshua. He says, everywhere you step, foot, I'm going to give you. And he defined kind of the barriers. He says, as long as you will obey me with all your heart, you, you do the things that I say, you do it my way and you get all of this. And all of this included the entire yellow portion of the land. What we saw last week though, is that the people of Israel didn't necessarily do it God's way. He said, this is what I have as a promise to you. But the people of Israel actually left a whole lot of promise on the table and they settled for something much less than what God had in store for them because they decided to do it their way. Now, I'm going to walk with you guys through some of the history to be able to get you guys up to the point of where we're going to go today. And so it starts off here. These guys have settled into the land. And so they're unpacking their boxes. They're, they're going to stick around here for a little while. And, and so they start setting up kind of different uh, systems and governance and all that kind of stuff. And for a while, they're governed by judges, both guys and gals who kind of are, are the representative of God <clears throat> to these people. And they judge rightly. And but, but these people start to look around at all the other nations around them and they realize it's like all these other people have kings. We want a king. 
And so they ask God for a king. And what they're doing is they're saying, instead of you being our king and telling us what to do, we want, we want a person in flesh like right here to do this. And so God reluctantly says, okay, I'll give you a king, but you're also subject to all the bad things that come along with kings. And so the first king comes along and he's just okay, you know? And the second king comes along and it's King David. Some of you guys have heard of this guy. He's famed, like he's the pinnacle of the kingdom of Israel. Like he, he, was, the, he was a good king. He was a man after God's own heart. But, but soon after King David kind of relinquished his reign, uh, things started to go downhill and they went downhill really fast. Uh, you see, people started to, to do things that they thought were right in their own eyes. And they started to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so David's son, Solomon, sits on the throne for, for a period of time, there was peace. But as soon as Solomon dies, the kingdom is ripped into two. And so just to give you all some context, this was, this was the kingdom of Israel. This is the promised land that they had given. Now it's divided into the northern kingdom, which is Israel. They kind of maintain that, that name. And then you have the southern kingdom, which is Judah. Okay, so now you have these two kingdoms. And, and uh, I'll forego all the details, but basically over the next several centuries, uh, these kingdoms kind of seesaw throughout these different kings, most of which are bad kings and some of which are good. And they're, they're going back and forth, whether they're devoted to God or unfaithful to God. And, and ultimately the hearts of the people just kind of drift away <clears throat> from God. And it got really bad because living under these kings that were promoting wrongdoing and neglecting the marginalized and forgetting the commands of God, like people started worshiping other gods and they started like doing child sacrifice to other gods. There's actually some situations where they resorted to cannibalism in a couple of situations. Like all this stuff is in your Bible. You're like, you all should read it. There's some good juicy stuff in there that's really bad stuff. But it's like, you look at it and you see like these guys are on a collision course with something really, really bad because they're no longer... They're no longer living under the promise. <clears throat> Instead, they're primed for punishment. Now, I, I, have, uh, I have several kids. Uh, after, after they outnumber you, you stop counting them, okay? So uh, I've got several kids uh, because it's kind of discouraging once you start to figure out that they actually, they can rule you in your home. But I, I've got several kids that uh, every once in a while, I like to give them like a reward. Now, sometimes it's for things that they've done. Other times it's just because I'm good dad, you know? I just want to give them something. And most of the time it's ice cream, okay? Because I like ice cream. And if I give them ice cream, I get ice cream. So like, I've got this good thing that I want to give my kids, but it's only like, they don't know about it, but I'm gonna give this thing to them. And all of a sudden, like I'm met with this like opposition, like this bad attitude or this bad behavior, okay? Now, what I do in that moment is like, I reveal to them this good thing that I have for them so that like in hopes that they'll change their attitude, right? But sometimes that doesn't work. Like I can remind them of this good thing, but it doesn't always work. It doesn't cause them to change their attitude or the behavior, so then I start to like reprimand them. You know, hey, listen, if you don't change your attitude, you're not gonna get this thing. But sometimes that like escalates the situation. Am I the only parent that this happens to? Like, am I just, okay, maybe I'm just a bad parent, but here's the deal. So, so it escalates. So now we're not even talking about reward anymore. Now we're talking about punishment. We're talking about consequence. We're not talking about getting ice cream. We're talking about how, how many years I'm gonna keep you in your room, right? And so <clears throat> this is exactly the place that Israel finds themselves. There's a promise that God had given them and he'd given them an opportunity to stay underneath that promise, but they have now removed themselves from the promise and now they're looking at punishment. Guys, I think oftentimes we have a very poor view of God's instructions, his commands, his laws. Oftentimes we look at the commands and the laws and the rules and the regulations and we see like, we see constriction, we see confinement. 
And, and, and because of that, we, like, we have a really hard time with this because we don't want to be confined. We don't want to be constricted. But I, I truly believe as I read scripture and I've, I've observed in my own life that that's not what those things are for in the first place. You see, what we, see, what we saw in Joshua last week was uh, the promises of God are actually given to us, like these commands and these things, so that we can get everything that God has actually has in store for us. And so when we choose to actually disobey, when we choose not to obey the things that God has put in place, what we do is we shortchange ourselves and we settle for something less than what God had in store for us. Okay, so that's, that's one side of this equation. But today, as we look at Jeremiah, what we see is that when we actually choose to rebel against the commands of God, what we're doing is we're actually taking ourselves out of the protective hand of God. You see, God's commands, his instructions, the things that he's given to us in his law are actually a reality saying, hey, if you stay under this thing that I'm telling you to do, I can protect you. I can take care of you. I can keep you from these consequences. But if you step outside that, if you rebel against it, like you're subject to difficulty and consequence and invasion. And that's what we find the people of Israel. And they've not only neglected the promise, but now they've stepped outside of the protection of God. And now they are subject to invasion. And in this particular case, what's happened is, is God said, hey, I'm protecting you from all of these other kingdoms and these nations around you that want what I have promised you. Up until this point, I have kept them out. But guess what? You've now stepped outside of my hand of protection and now you are subject to invasion. Worse yet, not only are you subject to invasion, I'm actually giving these guys permission because you need to be taught a lesson and now you are under my hand of wrath. And so we see here in, in Jeremiah chapter one, verses 14, God giving instruction to Jeremiah and telling him what is gonna happen. He says, the Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. And I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come up and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me and burying incense to other gods and worshiping what their hands have made. So they've pulled themselves out of the protection of God and now are subject to the wrath of God. And what happens is, is this is called the, the exile, all right? And so God's hand is now removed from them. And so you have the Assyrians from the north and they come in and they capture the northern kingdom, Israel, and they decimate that particular area and take them back to live in their area. They take them out of their promised land and take them into their own lands. And then we see the, uh, the kingdom of, uh, of Babylon, all right? These Babylonians, they actually conquer the Assyrians and then they, they come back down and then they conquer Judah, the southern kingdom. And they do the same thing. They burn the temple, they kill a bunch of people and all the people that are remaining actually go to live in their lands. They're taken out of the promise of God and subject to exile. That is what happens. Now, um, I just gave you kind of a preview of, of what does happen, all right? Up until this point, uh, God is only giving prophecy of what is to come, and he needs somebody to communicate this message to other people. In other words, he needs to commission a prophet, and a prophet is simply a voice piece of God, somebody who speaks on God's behalf. And so he needs somebody to do this. And so you can imagine all the people lining up for this particular assignment to tell all the people that they love and that they care about, their cousins, their nephews, their nieces, their family, that God is coming to punish them, right? All the people that are raising their hands saying, hey, I'll take that assignment. Nobody's doing that. Nobody wants this assignment because nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news. Now, just for a moment, I want you to put yourself kind of in like, the position of this person who's gonna be the bearer of bad news. Have you ever had to be 
the bearer of bad news? Have you ever had to be the person that has to communicate the tough stuff to people? Maybe it's been recent for you. Maybe it's something that you actually need to do. Like today you're gonna have a conversation with somebody, but maybe you had to let somebody know about a death in the family or an illness that has come up. Maybe you had to lay off somebody at work or give them a bad review. Maybe you had to confront somebody about a sin or a struggle. Maybe you had to report abuse to the authorities. Maybe you had to let your friend know that their spouse has been cheating on them. Maybe you had to discipline your your child for breaking curfew. Maybe you had to, to break up with that boyfriend or that girlfriend. You're the one that had to communicate that. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is, the, this is hard stuff. Maybe you had to be the one that reminds your family that Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays. Man, it's tough. It's no fun being the person who has to share the tough stuff, right? They actually, as I was researching this, they actually have like required trainings and seminars and classes for certain professions to be able to give bad news in a good way, which reminds me of a, of a clip from Robin Hood and Men in Tights that I don't have time to share with you or show you, but you should look it up, giving bad news in a good way. It's hilarious, all right? Uh, you'll just have to take my word for that. But here's the deal. I've actually had to be that person lately more, more often than I would like to be. And when I say more often than I would like to be, I don't ever like being the bearer of bad news. Like, it's not fun. Um, I hate it. And I oftentimes hesitate to do it because I know that um, bad news oftentimes causes hurt in other people's lives. It causes sadness. It causes them to spin out. It, it, oftentimes it causes, uh, it causes me to be the lightning rod against their anger and their disappointment and their discouragement. So I end up kind of like receiving the wrath that comes along with giving that bad news. And as much as I hate it and as much as I hesitate to do it, I also understand the necessity of it. Someone's got to give it. And when I'm aware of bad news, like it's my job, I have to give it so that somebody can hear it and they can heal from it. And that's our one thing today. Sharing bad news is no fun. Like we get this, but it's very necessary because people can't do anything if they don't know the bad news that they need to do something with. So somebody has to share it. And no one knows this kind of sorrow better than the prophet Jeremiah, who happens to be the very person that God chooses for this mission of conveying the imminent destruction of his fellow Israelites and Judeans. All right, Judeans. So here's the deal. What we're going to do is we're going to open up to Jeremiah chapter one. If you've got your Bibles, uh, either electronically or in paper copy, go ahead and flip them open, turn them on. Go to Jeremiah chapter one. We're going to start in verse four. We're going to take a look at the call that Jeremiah has on his life. So chapter one, verse four says this, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And there Jer- Jeremiah inserts, he says, but I, but I don't know how to speak and I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. 
Now, a few things that you need to know about Jeremiah that I think would be helpful. First of all, it's estimated Jeremiah was only like uh, between the ages of 17 and 20 years old, all right? Like he's still playing video games, living in his parents' basement, all right? Like this is, this is, this is a guy who's not had a whole lot of experience. He's, he's not been doing a whole lot of profiting at this point in time. Like this is his first profit gig. He's never, he's never spoken on behalf of God before. And so you can, you can imagine somebody of this particular age without any kind of experience, he's got a lot of insecurities, right? He doesn't think that he's qualified for doing this. As a matter of fact, he, he doesn't think that he can even speak on somebody else's behalf. He, he's not very good at this. And even if he did, who's going to listen to some 17-year-old punk, right? But, but this is the commission that God has given Jeremiah. And, and Jeremiah doesn't even know yet what God is going to ask of him. He doesn't know the extent of this. But I want you to see what, what God does with Jeremiah at this moment. Before he even lets him know the difficult things that he's going to have to do, God reassures him. And he reassures him with some things that, man, I think you and I actually need to hear today, but certainly Jeremiah needed to hear this before he got his commission. This is what, this is what the Lord says. He says, I made you. I knit you together in your mother's womb before you were even a thought, an inclination, like I knew you. Matter of fact, I set you apart. I've been preparing you for this very thing. You didn't know it, but everything that you've been up through up until this point, like, it was for this purpose. And then he says, I'm, I'm with you. I won't ever leave you. I won't forsake you. That's the same promise that was given to Joshua as we saw last week. And one of the most reassuring things in all of scripture that God will not leave us to do the things that he's called us to do. He's gonna be there with us. And he says, yeah, you're gonna go through some tough stuff. I'm gonna explain that to you here in a minute, but I will rescue you. Like I am on your side. And then he says this, my words are in you. My words are in you. Continuing in verse nine, it says, then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth. He said to me, I put my words in your mouth. Let's just stop there just for a minute. I, I think oftentimes we, we like run through scripture and we get the point of it without ever actually stopping to see what's actually said. Like the God of this entire universe reaches down and touches a 17 year old on his mouth and says, you are my chosen instrument. And I know all the insecurities that you have. I know all the things that people will say, but my words are in your mouth. And that is enough. Later on, as you'll see in the life of Jeremiah, he has some struggles, he has some difficulties. This is a hard calling that he has given. He, he's tempted to sit down and just shut up. But he describes this feeling. He says, it was, it was like, like fire was in my bones. I couldn't help but speak the things that God had put in my mouth. He was reminded of the very thing that God had spoke to him on this day of his commissioning. And then the Lord lets him in on what he's gonna do. He says, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms. Get ready, Jeremiah. Here's your call, all right? This is what I'm asking you to do, to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow to build and to plant. See, Jeremiah is given a very unglorious task. Your job is to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow. That's what I'm giving you to do. And then as we read earlier, as we read through the Jeremiah, the description, the Lord reveals the plan that Jeremiah, uh, to Jeremiah about the impending doom that's coming from the northern kingdoms that are coming down. This is stuff that is going to happen. And he lets him know, he gives him this knowledge and he puts it in his heart and in his mind. This is knowledge that he has to live with and deal with. And with knowledge comes pain. 
because you know the sorrow that it's going to cause other people. And he doesn't really give Jeremiah an opportunity to respond. He doesn't give him a chance to say, hey, uh, are you going to accept this or decline this? It's not like, hey, mission impossible, you know, should you choose to accept it? He said, this is your mission. You are my man. Go and do as I told you. Sharing bad news is no fun, but it's very necessary, especially in the case of Jeremiah. Again, just put ourselves in, this, in, in Jeremiah's shoes for a minute. We get to tell people about the love of God through the person of Jesus. And even then, sometimes we're met with opposition. Jeremiah, he gets to tell people that God is angry at them and that they are going to be destroyed for their wickedness. Like that's his job. That's his responsibility. That is his whole entire life's message. And that's what he does. He would spend the majority of his life going around and telling people bad news. And people hated him for it. And they, and they sought him out and they tried to kill him and they publicly beat him and they tried to discredit him and they even threw him into a cistern and they made him sink into some mud and hoped that he would starve to death. This was Jeremiah's lot in life. And for this reason, Jeremiah is often referred to as, as the weeping prophet. Not only because he literally weeped on behalf of the people and the destruction that was coming, coming to them. Because these are, his, these are his family members. This is his tribe. These are his people. But, but not only did he weep against what was gonna happen to them, he also weeped because of the things that they did and the things that they said and the lack of response that he actually got from these guys. You see, Jeremiah maintains his mission through five different kings and through 40 years. He spends 40 years preaching, really to no avail, with no recorded successes. He doesn't turn the mind of one person that we see in scripture, yet he preaches on. See, Jeremiah is unpopular, he's disliked, and he's ineffective. Now, if, if I'm being honest with you guys today, like, I think that I could probably handle two out of the three of those things. I, I think it would be okay for me to be unpopular because I, I was never the popular guy, all right? Um, I, I, think, I think I could be okay with being disliked. That would be hard for me, okay? I like to be liked. Everybody say that you love me. Everybody, go ahead, do that right now. For Thank you, I appreciate your, your participation, even if it was insincere, okay? Um, but I got to tell you, like my greatest fear, my, my, like the thing that keeps me up at night is, is uh, to lead an unproductive or ineffective life. To walk away from this thing saying the things that you did didn't really matter. I, that would be incredibly hard for me. And that was Jeremiah's life. 40 years he preaches without seeing the results of one person. How long would you keep doing the same thing without any kind of results? Yet for Jeremiah... Jeremiah had to understand that obedience for him was success. Now, this is not something that he came to very easily. It's something that if you read through the pages of Jeremiah, you see him wrestling with God through this whole thing, God having to convince him that success for Jeremiah is actually his level of obedience, not the response of the people. I think some of us need to hear that today. You know, all but four chapters in the book of Jeremiah are actually reserved for the imminent judgment that was to come. The uprooting and the tearing down and the destroying and the, over, uh, the overcoming. Like the, uh, th those, that's like the majority of his message. There's judgment here and judgment there. But right here in the middle of all these things, like chapters 30 through 33, there's this, there's this little glimpse of hope that Jeremiah holds on to a little bit of the build and the plant that God promised him that he would get to do. He gets a glimmer of hope in these chapters 
And the greatest glimmer of hope actually happens in chapter 33. I'm going to read this to you, okay? Um, some of you guys that are not like steeped in knowledge and understanding of the Bible, this is probably not going to mean a whole lot to you. I'm going to explain it to you, so hopefully you can catch it, okay? But just listen to these words in chapter 33, verses 15 through 18. It says, this is God, again, speaking to Jeremiah, this glimmer of hope. He says, in those days, in other words, in the days that I'm going to call you back, in the days that I'm going to restore you, in the days that I'm going to reinstate this people that I have chosen, at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. For this is what the Lord says. David, King David, when we talked about him, will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of Israel. Nor will a Levitical priest ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. Now again, this might not make a whole lot of sense to you, okay? But this is what God is doing. He's saying, there is a time after all of this judgment that I am still going to be faithful to my promise. You've broken the covenant with me. I get that, but guess what? My covenant, my promise still remains and I'm still gonna bring you back after you're disciplined. And what he does for Jeremiah is he, he allows Jeremiah to get a glimpse of Jesus. Now, Jeremiah doesn't know Jesus by his name, but he's able to give him a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the one who would come to save his people, the one who would come. And, and this, is, this is who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the very guy that, that is from the line of David, who's the king that will sit on the throne and never be dethroned. Jesus is also the great high priest who stands before God and intercedes on our behalf. You see, Jeremiah got a glimpse of Jesus and that was the hope that he needed. You see, I think Jeremiah was able to cope with the bad news that he had to communicate over and over and over and over again because he had gotten a glimpse of the good news and he was able to point people to that. You know, one of the things that I've found in my time in ministry um, is that in our Western culture, specifically in America, uh, we have a particularly hard time with the gospel um, in large part because I don't think that we completely understand the bad news. See, the gospel literally means good news, all right? But I think we have a hard time in our culture understanding the good news because we actually don't know the bad news. Now, this may sound incredibly heretical, all right? But just walk with me for just a moment, all right? The, the people who start with an entitled view of eternity, in other words, people who'd say, uh, you know, I deserve heaven. I deserve a second chance. I deserve forgiveness. I deserve grace. They may not ever say that with their mouth, but somewhere deep inside, they think that's the case. Okay, for a person like that to start with Jesus is actually a disservice to them. That's where it's heretical, okay? I, I, guys, I'm all about Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus. But for somebody who starts with an entitled view of eternity, you can't start with Jesus because they don't understand the bad news in order for them to understand the good news, which is Jesus. That would be something like, um, so I've got a friend of mine who has recently been diagnosed with cancer, a form of breast cancer. And uh, it's, it's invasive. And uh, they got together with the doctors and they got together with uh, her husband and, she, and they came to a conclusion that uh, we're gonna undergo this chemo treatment, okay? Uh, and uh, not only that, we're also gonna do this double mastectomy so that like we're done with this problem, okay? We're, not, we're gonna get rid of this disease. And that's a very, very difficult thing. But imagine with me just for a moment, okay? Before they came to a, a conclusion of the diagnosis of cancer, that somebody came up to my friend and said, 
hey, um, did you know that you need chemo? Like, you need chemo. Matter of fact, I'd probably just take both your breasts out because, like, you don't need them anyway. Like, it'll be a good thing. Like, you just need to do this. Now, that would be completely ludicrous to my friend, right? She'd be thinking, what are you, what are you talking about? I don't need chemo. Like, I've seen what it does to people. I understand the cause. It causes your hair to, to fall out. Like, that's not good. Like, why would I go to such extreme measures? Why would I go to such a cost? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, I'm not going to be willing to take the chemo treatment. Guys, I think that's what we do with Jesus. I, what we do is we, we go to people and we say, hey, did you know that you need Jesus? Did you know that Jesus died for, like, for your sins so you can go to heaven? And we start with the cure, but what's, what's the problem is, is people are never able to fully embrace the cure if they don't know the malady, if they don't know their sickness, if they don't know their illness. And until somebody is able to actually properly be diagnosed, to understand that they have an illness that is going to kill them, that is going to take their life, they're not willing to embrace the cost of what it, what, what it takes to follow Jesus. And I think, I think uh, John chapter uh, 3, verses 16 illustrates this in, incredibly well. Uh, guys, people that don't even follow Jesus, don't, don't know the Bible, uh, they know this verse, all right? And they like this verse. They hang on to this verse. It says this, you all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We love this. This is good news. There's a God who loves you enough to send his one and only son so that he doesn't condemn the world, but he saves the world. It's such good news. But guys, we don't understand the good news if we don't understand the bad news. And that's what verse 18 says. It's putting this in context. Like, don't miss this part. Verse 18 says, for whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Guys, that's, that's actually the reality that we live in. You see, those who have not put their trust in Jesus already stand condemned. Their condition is that they are separated from God. Jesus is only good news because sin is bad news and we have it all over it. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve a second chance. That stuff is made possible through Jesus, not because we deserve it. You see, we stand separated from a holy God because of our sin and there's nothing that we can do to get to him. That's our reality. And that's actually the reality for every single person that you lay eyes on. Every single person that you see in the grocery store, at the gas station, at your work, in your family, in your homes, in your neighborhood, every single person, this is their reality. Because of their sin, they are separated from God and they cannot do anything on their own to reconcile that difference because there's nothing they can do about sin, no matter how hard they try. Guys, that's bad news. And it's bad news that somebody needs to hear. You know, when you think about it, our calling is actually not much different than Jeremiah's. Here's what I mean. See, we've been given knowledge the same way that Jeremiah has been given knowledge. And our knowledge is this, that mankind stands condemned, stands separated from a perfect, holy God. And they are on a collision course with hell, which by the way, if you don't know what that is, hell is simply eternal separation from God. It is exile from God. That's what it is. 
And that is the reality. That is the bad news. But the people that we love need to hear this bad news so that we can point them to the glimmer of hope that we know, which is Jesus. Because he's the one who stands in the gap between our bad news so that we can actually have good news. But I think many of us are like Jeremiah. We look at the situation and we say, I, I can't do this. I'm too young. I can't speak. I'll screw it up. It's not my responsibility. Guys, I just I want to be real honest with you. Here. Um, I think we fail to understand the reality of our condition or the bad news of hell. Either, either because we don't see it or we don't want to see it. We've gotten really good at, at not looking at the bad news in life. The, the bad news of, 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 of the reality of our friends and our family members and our coworkers. But guys, we gotta, we gotta get serious about this. We, we need to be able to realize and come to, to the reality that we have friends of ours that desperately need to know their condition so that they have an opportunity to hold on to the good news of Jesus and grab his hand. But that takes us entering into difficult situations having hard conversations, to be sharing the tough stuff. And I'm not talking about standing on a sun on a chair or platform and yelling out to everybody that they're going to hell. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having an honest conversation with somebody about their reality and their condition before God so that you can point them to a God who loves them and has made a way for them. But I think we need to be reminded this morning the same things that Jeremiah was reminded because this is a difficult task. And so let me just speak over you the same words that God spoke over Jeremiah. I made you. I made you, I formed you. I, I thought about you even before you were a thought in your parents' eyes. Even before conception, I knitted you together. I've, I've made you just as I want you. And I've actually set you apart. I've given you this knowledge of a good God so that you can share it with other people. And all of the experiences you've had up until this point in your life have actually primed you for the people that I've put you in, put, put in your life, in your sphere of influence. You see, I am with you. This may be scary. This may be difficult. You may get rejected. People may fail to have a relationship with you after this. They may push you aside. They may even try to harm you, but I will rescue you. And if you don't think that you have the words to say, I am putting those words in your mouth. Just have courage. Step into those conversations. Because sharing bad news is no fun. But in this case, it's incredibly necessary because people can't do anything with the bad news that they don't know about. Guys, that's, that's our call. That's our job. So I, I want to I wanna move into a, a time of response. And every, every week that we get together, we have a, a, a portion of time that's set aside in our gatherings. Uh, we call our response time because we truly believe that uh, if you're going to invest your time and show up on a Sunday, um, that you should do something about it. And so uh, every week we have a few options of things that you can do. But honestly, whatever God's stirring in your heart, that's the thing that you need to be doing. Uh, but we've got a couple stations that are up here in the front and in the back that have communion elements on those stations. Uh, those, are, those are to represent Jesus's good work, his death, burial, and resurrection. 
that set us free from our sin that entangles us and that separates us from God. Jesus did that for us. And for those of you all that have already received that, this is an opportunity for you to come and take it and thank Jesus for standing in the gap between us. Maybe for some of you, for some of you, you actually need to have a conversation today with myself or, or somebody else that's here on staff or at guest services about the bad news that actually exists and how to receive the good news. Maybe you've never heard that before. Guys, we're, like, we're happy to have that conversation. Maybe that's your response. In addition to that, we have some stations here in the back. These are prayer stations, an opportunity to kind of write on those cards, uh, requests or maybe praises of things that are going on in your life. You can just drop those in those buckets, the back there, those green buckets. We pray over those things every week. If you want us to follow up with you, just check the box and put your contact information in the back of that. But today, maybe, maybe what you write on those cards is the principle of one that I'm gonna give you. And here's the principle of one. What's the one thing you know you should tell someone, but you've hesitated to do so? What's the one thing that you know you should tell someone, but you've hesitated to do so? And this could look really different for all of us. It could be somebody that you need to share the bad news about sin and the good news about Jesus with. It could be a gospel conversation, a salvation conversation. It could be a confession, a sin or a struggle that you've been dealing with, that you've been holding on to, that you just not let anybody know because it's bad news and you don't want anybody to know, but you're in the darkness and God is calling you to be in the light. Many of our students got to experience this at camp a couple weeks back and they felt the healing that comes along with sharing that bad news. It's hard, it's difficult, Man, it's the right thing to do and it's a good thing for us. Maybe, maybe there's somebody in your life that God has revealed a blind spot about. Maybe it's a kid or a spouse or a friend. You see something in them and it's just not a good thing. And, and God has actually given you that insight and he's asking you to take courage to be able to share it with grace, but also in truth so that they can become all that God has called them to be. I don't know what it is that you need to share, but I think all of us have something that we have hesitated to tell someone else. What's that thing for you? And maybe, maybe that's the thing that you write on your prayer card as you drop it in today and let us pray over that or follow up with you over that thing. Let's pray and then you all can choose to respond how God is calling you to respond today. Lord, thank you for uh, giving us the life of Jeremiah, giving us his example allowing us to, to understand that our success is not defined by other people's responses. Uh, instead, Lord, our success is defined by our obedience. And Father, where we have stepped out of obedience and we've come subject to the consequences of our life, Father, allow us to come back in alignment under your protective hand. Father, where we've short-sold ourselves and we've settled for less than what you have promised, I pray that you would allow us to take you up on all that you have promised us. Father, I pray that for each and every one of us, you would put a person or you would put a, a, a thought or an idea or a word in our mind that relates to this thing that we've hesitated to share. And it's probably bad news. Lord, give us the courage to be able to share that bad news so that others might be able to do something about it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.